Welcome to the Young, Wild, Financially Free podcast, an audio experience where we don't just talk about it, we live it. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Young, Wild, Financially Free podcast. Andrew Roberts here. Matt Tyfke, what's going on? And today we are excited about the guest that we had on our podcast, all the way from Omaha, Nebraska, Miss Gwen Aspen. Matt, what do you think about Gwen? I think Gwen is amazing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, she's got a pretty cool history. She was running for politics and she's a female entrepreneur, owns a couple businesses. Right. I was super impressed by her. Yeah. Coming from the mean streets of Detroit. That's right. Yeah. For the listeners, well, I mean, we'll dive into this in the podcast episode, but so our company here in Austin, we manage uh, about 350 units here in Austin, and she has a property management company up in Nebraska, and she manages 1,200 units, which is like mind-blowing to me. Yeah. Um, and she, I mean, you'll find out basically how she did it and how she was able to grow that business with her husband, but it's just amazing what she's been able to do, and she has a couple of businesses that she started, and she's a true, true entrepreneur. So all that to say, real excited to have her on the podcast, and hope you guys enjoy. The Young Wild Financially Free Podcast is provided by Rentometer, or as I like to call it, Rentometer. I'm not really sure which is the best way to say it, but either way, it's great. Matthew, what's one of my favorite things in this entire world? Mm, running. <laughs> running is one, Yes. I mean, one of the reasons why running is one of my favorite things is because it's free. I don't have to pay gym membership. You know what else is free? Rentometer. All right. <laughs> so Rentometer is a great tool that I've used uh, personally on some of my investment properties. And it's a way for you to find out how much really you can be raking in each month on, on the house that you own or um, what have you, the rental property. What you do is you just go to rentometer.com. And you plug in the address, and you plug in how many bedrooms that house has or that unit has. What Renometer does is it compares similar properties within a geographical region and tells you what the average mean is of the the rent price in that area and what you can be bringing in. From what I've seen, I mean, if you don't have access to the MLS, Renometer seems like the best way to really go. I mean, what's that process look like as far as like running rental comps? Well, you got to have MLS access, and then you'd basically go and type in all your criteria, amount of beds, the size, the area, Sure. highlight that, and then you click closed or available, mm-hmm. and then you got to go through them and compare them. Right. So it's probably a 20-minute process where over on the rentometer or rentometer. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it takes five minutes or, yeah. or one minute. Exactly, yeah. It seems like a, a real straight shot. A uh, simple kind of cut and dry way to find out how much you can be bringing in and rent each month. And you and I are both big proponents on uh, long-term buy and hold rental properties. And uh, you know, this is a tool that is great for us to use in a in a pinch and a bind. And really, it's free for anyone to use it. But if you want to sign up for the full Monty, the real big, I guess, package that Rentometer has. You can follow the link that's in the show notes below. And it's a great tool. It's just another thing to have to analyze a property with exactly the more the better exactly and like i said the whole free 50 free thing really gets my juices flowing (laughs) if you guys want to check out rentometer go to rentometer.com gwen thank you so much for coming on to the young wild financially free podcast andrew matt here obviously uh you know that but you know now the listeners know that as well and uh (laughs) we've been able to uh form a a professional relationship with you uh, over the last i would say few months. I'm not actually sure whenever you met Lexi. Like almost wow. a year ago. Yeah. yeah. Very yeah. cool. And so you know, we've really enjoyed getting to know you and, and that professional relationship. And we admire you and everything that you've done in your professional career. And so we wanted to kind of get to know your story a little bit more and uh, our listeners to get to know your story as well. So uh, if you wouldn't mind telling us a uh, I guess like a, a summary or a two to three minute elevator pitch on, on who you are. 
Sure. Well, first off, I just want to say thank you so much for having me on this podcast. I'm so excited to chat with you guys today. And it's been so fun working with Lexi and Gabby, your other employee. That's right. We love Gabby. Oh, she's great, isn't she? So so anyway, a little bit about me. So I'm from the Detroit area. And now I live in Omaha, Nebraska, which is super random. But uh, so grew up in Detroit area, pretty normal childhood, nothing too extraordinary about it. But I've always worked. I mean, since I could, I actually had a paper out when I was eight. My parents let me lie about my age. You were supposed to be 11. But my mom like had the paper out bag and she like tied it up so that I could walk because it was too long and it dragged on the ground. And so I've just worked my entire life. So I think that it just instilled something different that like a lot of kids don't get anymore. Sure. um, In me. And so Detroit was a little rough for our family, as many people could imagine. And so my, my dad got a new job in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and we moved there my freshman year of high school which was quite the transition because anyone who's from Michigan knows Detroit's culture versus West Michigan is 100% different. So I did not fit in. Let's just say it straight up. But I'm very grateful that we moved because I would have been a very different person had we not. You know, again, most of my high school is just working to pay for college. And then when I went to college, I went to University of Michigan. Go blue. Um, Yeah, go blue. And... I had like not that much money to go. My parents were like, we cobbled this together. You saved this from working. You had, you could afford like three years of college. Go. Mm -hmm. So I had to just finish it in three years and it was great. I mean, it was just a whirlwind of working and studying and trying to make it happen. And then 9-11 happened and there were no jobs and I had a bad degree because in the 90s, you could have like any degree, right? So I was like, ooh, I, I want to play in the woods. I'm going to be an environmental science major. Yeah. <laughs> and then 9-11 happened and like the real world caught up and there, there were no jobs for that, you know, industry. So oh, wow. I basically lied to get into interviews for businesses that did come to the university and said, oh my God, I had an interview at this time. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I'm not on your list. Can you fit me in at the end? Oh, wow. And then I ended up getting a job with a company called Cerner out of Kansas City and selling healthcare IT software. Okay. 21 years old. I, I got to see the country. I got to go to the East Coast and see New York and you know see Boston. And it was a really neat job when you're young. Sure. Met my husband there. In seven months, I, we decided we we're going to get married. My parents were not really thrilled with that because we're 10 years apart. Oh, wow. So they're like, wait a year, wait a year. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, when we got married, we moved to Omaha, Nebraska to be close to his family uh-huh. and started our property management company. Everyone thought I ruined my life. They're like, I thought you're supposed to marry old men for money. (laughs) Don't have any money. (laughs) So I worked as a pharmaceutical rep uh, to pay the bills. He started the company. We flipped houses on the weekends. Uh, We didn't make any money for 18 months. Our first check was $505 or something. And so, and then we just really hammered the whole property management thing. And now our company, our property management company is called Wistar Group. And we manage 1,200 units in Omaha, uh, Lincoln, and Iowa. Since then, we've started another company called Anaquim, which is how I know you all, Mm -hmm. where we source remote workers from Mexico for property management companies all over the country. We have 106 Ramota employees uh, right now today Wow! Um, for all the companies in the U.S. And we also have Rep Manager Call Center where we take 24-7 maintenance calls, overflow calls for anyone on the rent manager software. So that's kind of what we're doing now. But that's a lot. I guess, that's and a- I forgot the two most important people in my life. I have two girls, yeah. nine and 11. That's awesome. 
Yeah, and they're playing the violin right now, so hopefully you can't hear them, but they <laughs> I don't wish, have school today. I wish we could. <laughs> I um, don't know about that, but no, no, they're pretty good, but <laughs> so that's, yeah, that's it in a nutshell. That's cool. That's awesome. So how did you, I feel like there was a big jump from, I guess, where you were before property management to now starting a property management company. How did you make that transition? What interested you in real estate um, and in property management in general? Well, so when I met my husband, we were both doing the corporate grind, you know, okay. the, the crazy corporate grind, the 80 hours a week, see each other only on the weekends. Mm -hmm. And we were becoming our corporations. I mean, we were like appropriating ourselves exactly like the people at our corporations were. Yeah. And it was soul destroying. I don't know. I felt like it was. I mean, I, the company, Surter's great. It was, it was a great corporation. But, you know, if you have that entrepreneurial passion, yeah, it's scary when you see yourself becoming corporate. Matt, Matt talks all the time about how the reason why he's so interested in real estate is because he was tired of, I mean, even in high school, you know, working at, uh, you know, high school jobs as a cashier and, and what have you, um, looking at the clock was something that he didn't want to do. And he saw, you know, real estate as um, having that, that freedom. So the same concept yes. as to where you're at. Nothing was necessarily wrong with, you know, the company you were at. And if someone enjoys doing that, then, you know, good for them. But it just wasn't what, you know, matched up with uh, your passion and, and your goals in life, really. Right, right. And so, and also family is super important to Jeremy and me. We're like obsessed with our families. We wanted our kids to grow up near family. And in Michigan at the time, the economy was just a disaster. Mm -hmm. So between the two families, we chose Nebraska, which had a vibrant economy at the, at the time. And okay. so we quit our corporate jobs. And then I did the pharmaceutical rep thing there just to pay the bills. Uh -huh. And he started the company, but basically we were like, well, I was 23 when we got married. So I was like, come on, baby, we could just live off love. Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> like, I didn't care about money. I was like, eh, I've been poor. I don't know. I could eat ramen my whole life. I don't yeah. need anything. Yeah. So, so I don't know. We've, we've discussed this. Like if I had been older, if we would have made the plunge, it, it, it may have been different. I don't know if it would have or not, but. Being so young and stupid was definitely an asset. You know, being young in your early 20s or even, you know, fresh out of college, like there's, that's, that's probably the best time possible to take a big risk like that with starting your own company because really you have nothing, nothing to lose. Right. Oh, right. And, uh, and no one really believed in us, but when you're 23, you so believe in yourself. You're like, oh. I could do anything. Cause he didn't even have his broker's license when we both quit our jobs. Like oh, wow. we had no business doing this. We had a friend who was in property management. Our thing was that we were really tech savvy. Mm -hmm. And so, and we saw in the property management industry at the time, it was all paper. It was all Excel spreadsheets. So we said, well, if we can take our technology, you know, acumen and put it into a field that's very low tech, you know, we can grow our business, which is yeah. what we did and how we got our first clients on board. That's awesome. That's very cool. Wow. So 1,200 properties. Uh, I would love to hear kind of how quick you grew and what you did to get there. Uh, that's a lot. We've, we've got about 360 so 1200 would be a, a dream. Yeah. Um, so we'd love to get some advice and kind of hear. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, the big thing. So when we, you know, the first, if you're really starting out, the first thing is getting those first few clients, right? Mm -hmm. So we went to some of the landlord, you know, the self-managed property meetings. They have, would have meetings on Saturday mornings, got to know those people. Our partner at the time had 60 properties of his own. So we could kind of say, oh, well, we're managing Luis's properties. So we have 60 starting out. We sent out a flyer to everybody. We got some data from First Data or something on people who had the properties. It, it just was a floodgate of, of people interested. And I think it was just a moment where some of the people who were older in the industry <coughs> and were, had the primary relationships 
we're so old and not doing a very good job that we got a lot of business right on the front end. So we went from 60 to like a hundred pretty quickly. Okay. And then after that, it was all about processes and procedures. And being that we came from the corporate world, we understood the importance of those. And so we have always focused on being as efficient as possible using technology to its full extent to automate where it makes sense. Mm -hmm. And then in 2008, we added in the remote assistance for our own company, which was a complete game changer. So Jeremy lived in Mexico before I met him. And he he was there for five years uh, managing a transportation and logistics outfit out there. Wow, that's cool. So, yeah. So he speaks perfect Spanish and he has a lot of great relationships in Mexico. What part of Mexico was he in? Chihuahua. Ooh, Chihuahua. Yeah, Yeah, funny thing about Chihuahua, when he was there, like the Applebee's was like the hot place to go. Oh, oh, it is here too. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So he made a lot of friends. When the economy crashed in 2008, 2009, he had a friend call him and say, hey, Jeremy, like you think it's bad in the US? It's horrible here in Mexico. Is there any way you can get me a job like doing anything at your company? Mm-hmm. And so we were, my husband is so loyal. He's like the most loyal person you could ever meet. He stayed up for like two nights, three nights pacing back and forth, trying to figure it out. And that was when VOIP phones just came out. And so he sent down a VOIP phone. The configuration was very difficult at the time with Mexico and the US, but figured that out. And then she started taking our phone calls for our company and it was awesome. She won, we won, everyone was happy. Yeah. And that's when we started hiring all her friends for the new jobs that came as we grew our company. So the problem is, and you guys know this, you get so much work and then you finally make some money and then you've got to pay some crazy salary so then all your profits go away. So then you're like, keep delaying making a profit right. or living off of the company and you're working your butt off because of these stair steps of hiring new people. So right. using the labor in Mexico, which is discounted to some degree, you can make those stair steps less dramatic. So you can truly focus on your business and not have your side hustle. Right. So it just makes that process more quick or quickens the process so that you can fully focus on your management business, make some money, feed your family, pay your mortgage, you know, the whole nine yards. So we believe that remote labor was not just like a small aspect of our company, but like the reason we were able to grow quickly. Yeah. uh, Because we were able to just go all in with property management and give it our all really quickly on. And so I know that you said, um, you know, just to clarify to the listeners, I know you said that it's a, you know, using that remote uh, labor, the the individuals down in Mexico, it was kind of a discounted rate for you guys. But with the uh, difference in, um, I guess, uh, between, you know, dollars and pesos and, and stuff uh-huh. like their economy, I mean, correct me if I'm mistaken, but it's actually a great, you know, salary, a great wage for them. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, we don't pay, like our employees right now, people pay between 8 and $10 an hour for remote labor. And this is a job where they get, they get a good wage, a great wage, actually. They pay their taxes. <clears throat> They uh, have health care. They have a housing allowance. And in that also includes two weeks bonus, which is called aguinaldo, which is a requirement by Mexican law yeah. um, down there. And they get all of that. And we're paying wages where you can't find people in the U.S. And, and this is not like low quality <laughs> labor. These are people who are well-educated, college-educated in many cases, mm-hmm. um, lots of work experience for big companies like GE and SoftTech and Verizon. And so um, it's really a win-win. They're, they're happy because they have the security. Mm-hmm. Um, I, we only hire like legal Mexican employees. Sure. So they're completely above board. They're contributing to their country and their economy. 
They get to work from home in our case, and they are so thrilled about that job. And then we're happy because we can grow our vision and be the entrepreneurs that we were meant to be. That's awesome. And quit that corporate gig. Yeah. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, I would love to hear a couple of things, probably just for personal advice on our business. Um, yeah. Kind of with your, with your 1,200 properties, uh, if you don't mind, how your employees are laid out. Like, oh, yeah, sure. Like, yeah, so how you staff that. Maybe it's helpful to do like a workflow. So let's say someone calls our company. There are three customer service reps that handle all the calls that come in. Mm-hmm. They're not receptionists. They are solutions because they're supposed to provide solutions. So that means that they are doing their job well if they're handling 80% of the calls, 80 to 90, without transferring to someone else. So they need to know our lease. They need to know our management agreement. They need to know how to set up a showing, know how to give other alternative houses if, if the one isn't going to work for them. They ha- they're well-trained customer service staff. Then, like let's say it's a maintenance call, or like, a ma- <clears throat> like a, I have a leak. A leaky sink. They will type in the service issue and they're trained to get like a good scope of work. It goes to what we call the virgin list and the assistant property managers, which we have three of that also reside in Mexico. They review uh, maintenance service issues. They put, they decide if our internal uh, maintenance team can handle it or if we need an outside vendor. So we still use outside vendors for some HVAC work, although we have some HVAC in-house, but some of the bigger HVAC stuff and also snaking drains and some stuff like that. So if they determine it needs to go to a vendor, then they're in charge of organizing that vendor to go out and they work with the tenant to find a good time. If it goes to our internal team, they just put a budget on it and send it over And then we have a girl also in Mexico who is our, uh, gives the guys work on their lists. So they all have handheld devices through rent manager. And if they need more work or they're in the same area, she reviews the service issues and makes sure that each guy's busy. So that's kind of like our maintenance workflow. Then we have three property managers. So those property managers work with the assistant property manager and they're a team and they make sure the owners are happy. Now the assistant property managers have to answer like questions on on their statement, owner statements. I mean, they're high end. They help create the budget for the turnovers and they just basically each property manager has a different relationship and kind of organizes their workflow with their assistant property manager a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. But for all intent and purpose, they work as a team to manage these properties. So they have pretty big portfolios. Mm-hmm. Um, we have one guy who only does single family homes, one guy who does multifamily, and then the other guy has kind of a mix of the both based because people might have both. You know, like our owners might have some single family and some multi. Right. So that's kind of how we arrange those portfolios. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Then we have uh, two guys in accounting, and so we scan all of our uh, all of our in anything that comes in the mail to them, and they associate it with the right building, the right owner. Um, they bring up discrepancies or things that don't make sense to us, and they do collections both on the owner side and the Uh, the tenant side. Mm -hmm. So they're kind of a team. We have a marketing person. She actually lives in Colombia, but she does all of our Facebook, uh, our website. She also helps us make our processes pretty. So we use a a system called sweet process. And so she works with everyone with the new processes (laughs) and you could do a video and send it to her and then she'll document it for you with screenshots and stuff, which is awesome. Wow. Yeah, that has been like a game changer. I love, yeah. I, I love having her work there. Um, and who else do we have? I feel like I'm forgetting people and I feel really badly about that. But so in the front office, we have an operations manager who's also part owner of Wistar. Okay. Um, so that was another thing that we did with our business. Our first two employees became 
co-owners of the business. So my husband and I own 51% and then we've divided up the rest of the company for them so that they have buy-in. They worked for nothing for two years too. So I mean, yeah, they put the sweat equity in, they deserve it. But so we have a partnership with them. So he's the operations manager in charge of ultimately customer service and the leasing end. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then we have two women in the front office that double as uh, leasing agents and one full-time leasing agent. And one of our property managers, who's also owner, doubles as the maintenance manager. Wow. So we're pretty slim. We keep it really slim on labor, but um, it works. It works. And our our maintenance guys uh, step up. And so they kind of have some managers within the, because we have about 15 to 20 maintenance guys at any time. And so they, you know, we have some teams and they kind of manage themselves within that group. That's cool. I love it. Thank you for sharing that. That's very awesome. Yeah. I hope that wasn't too long, but that was great. What I'm seeing from this, (laughs) Matt, Matt was, you know, as uh, saying something probably totally different, but what I'm saying is that you're very uh, detail oriented and also, uh, you know, you're, you're taking a lot of initiative with this and uh, you're very organized uh, when it comes to things. Caveat on that. I am not detail oriented. Oh, okay. But I hire people who are detail oriented. No, I'm actually like a zero on detail orientation, but I know my weakness. So you know, you, you find people that compliment you, but we do have certain things that we're obsessed with, like processes and procedures. So I'm obsessed with processes and procedures, but any, no, I'm not detail oriented. I gotcha. That's interesting to me um, because I I feel like I'm similar, uh, not really detail oriented, but for you to be not detail oriented, but focused on process and procedures, Uh you know, see what I'm saying? It's It's interesting balance. But it's an ends to, it's a means to an end. So I mean, I'm, I'm a, if you look at my personality, a trailblazer, I'm a serial entrepreneur Yeah. and I know that I cannot grow my business unless we have the processes and procedures that there's zero way that we can manage all the things that we do unless our procedures are awesome. Absolutely. So I see it as a means to an end and it, it does exhaust me when I'm working on them. I have four hours. I'm working on processes and procedures for four hours this afternoon. Wow. And I'm going to be exhausted afterwards because it's me having to manipulate myself into something that I'm not, but it's that important in order for our businesses to grow. Sure. And I hate chaos and stress and drama. And so the hate of those things drives me to be organized. Yeah. So since you hate chaos and drama, did you uh, grow up uh, with siblings? I have a brother. Yes, okay. I have an older brother. And did, I mean, did any of that uh, desire to um, you know be organized or you know do the necessary things and avoid you know chaos and drama come from you know I guess maybe family life and you're growing up or when I hear that you're from Detroit, I think of this is just me being probably uncultured and from Austin, Texas. Uh, but I think Detroit is being rough. Um, and you also well, said that it was a drastic change going to Grand Rapids. And so me, I mean, my initial instinct is like, you went from, you know, chaos in Detroit to maybe like a more of a peaceful place in Grand Rapids, but I have no idea. Well, okay. So I'm from a nicer part of Detroit, but okay. I happen to find trouble. I mean, I'm an, like, you can find trouble if you're looking for it. So I was one of those kids that was like, ooh, now that's exciting. Now this person's not boring. Uh-huh. And so my brother and I tended to find the bad kids, if lack of a better term, okay. whenever they were around. So my, hus- my brother did it for, from a different angle. He worked at Olga's Kitchen. With, uh, do you guys have those? Or oh. it, it was like a, uh, what do they have? It was like a Turkish food or something, but it was a chain back in the day. And he learned fluidobonics working with like the chefs and he learned all about like gangs and stuff. And he's a nerdy kid. He was a really nerdy kid. <laughs> he's an attorney now, but he like smoked pot with, he, he got to try all this like bad stuff with these guys. Nice. And so he created an internet gang. Uh, so he knew fluidobonics and pretended he was like in a gang, but he wow. also knew computers. And he got in a lot of trouble. Like the FBI came to our house. Oh, no. Like the 
Yeah, you could even look it up. I just found it, the article from the Washington Post about his internet gang, like really recently. Sure. And uh, from 1996, called the Homie Homepage, if you Google it. But anyway, so he was getting in that kind of trouble. I was just hanging out with the wrong crowd, and my parents were like, this place is going to ruin our kids. So they, they moved us to Grand Rapids, but I don't want to oversell like, oh, I'm from like the hood or something because sure. I'm not from the hood. But Detroit is like a third world country. So if you drive into Detroit enough, yeah, as long as you can see over the counter, you can buy alcohol. I oh, mean, wow. like everything is available if you're, you know, looking for trouble. So anyway, that was kind of my background. I was not an easy kid to raise at all. But I think that's really common with entrepreneurs is that you're a risk taker from a young age. And so that usually doesn't make your parents happy when you're younger. But it ends up working out okay if you filter that into the right direction. Yeah. And then so and then you moved whenever you were um, a freshman in high school. And I would imagine that would be a tough transition because, you know, you probably grew up with a, a certain group of friends. Um, and then, in high, you know, high school is tough for anybody. But then going into a new high school with, you know, new people uh, might have been pretty tough. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt about it. It was it was very hard. <laughs> I mean, I didn't fit it at all. Sure. And they were like really proper. The school we went to It was a public school, but people wore like sweater sets and pearls to school. And I was like, oh my God, I can't handle these people. Yeah. But I mean, I, I found my, you find your niche, you find your people. And I was always academic. I always did well in school. And um, I, I never wanted anyone to know I was doing well at school, but I always did well at school and I had to work. So, right. you know, I'm working 20, 30 hours a week, almost all of high school. I worked at a shoe store selling running shoes. Um, I did get some sports in here and there. And so I just kept myself really busy. My senior year, I took college classes. One of the ways I was able to graduate a year early, I got like a semester's worth of college classes done in high school, paid for by my school district. So, you know, I I got it. Everything got done. It's just that I may have had too much fun on the weekends. No, Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, you got to, you got to. Well, I would say like that, I think of like, you know, going into a new school, you know, with new people, um, that kind of maybe form that character trait of resilience in you and also individuality when it comes to being an entrepreneur. You know, you were in a new environment where really you had to like, I guess, maybe pave your own way really and also adapt to a new environment, which are, you know, two huge character traits of entrepreneurs and, you know, someone who like, I mean, in the business world, is going to pave their own way. Yeah. I mean, I, I've always been independent. My family's really conservative. I was a hellion. So I was always just kind of doing my thing. Like, sure. oh, whatever. Get off my back. I got this. I mean, um, so yeah, there was lots of conflict because I was bad and I never followed directions or listened sure. to my parents. And I would just be like, hey, ground me, but I'm going to be out all night. Bye. Yeah. You also mentioned that you were good in school and you got college credits early and you also had a job and those are like, you know, check those off the list. You're a great kid, you know, and, um, you know, you're going places. So did your parents like force you into that or was that natural? What led you to to be that way? It was natural because I hate rules and I wanted to be independent so badly and just be able to run my own life that I loved having my own money and I always was looking for small things I could make money on. Like I just found um, these modeling pictures I've took of girls in high school and I'd like be like, yeah, for 50 bucks, I'll take your modeling photos. I had like a manual camera. So just kind of like anything I could make money at. So yeah. And it was just fueled by wanting to be fully independent no rules, no one telling me. I just hate people telling me what to do. (laughs) I got you. Yeah. And so, I mean, transitioning into college, you chose a degree you said you refer to as playing in the trees or playing in the woods. What, why do you choose that instead of choosing something in business or because you obviously had the entrepreneurial bug in you in high school, you're, you know, basically hustling to even take pictures of girls for their modeling. (laughs) It's a great idea. 
Uh, what led you to that, choosing that degree at, at Michigan? It shows it because my dad said, you're going to go into sales. I can tell. And you need some kind of science or like technical background so that you can sell something technical. He's like, you don't need a degree to do sales. So, so that was his advice, which I thought was pretty good advice. So the environmental science program was easier to get into. I, I mean, I was a good student, but I still had a lot of other responsibilities. So it wasn't like Michigan is really hard to get into in state. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if you have perfect grades, uh, it's not a guarantee that you'll get in there. Okay. So the loophole is that you could be like a dude, like to ensure that you get into the school, a dude in uh, nursing, woman in engineering, oh. or the environmental science school. So my, I don't know how he figured it out, but he's like, these are the three loopholes, choose one. And so I love being, I'm still very outdoorsy. We're, we're really that's like our, the way that we relax as we go hiking and ride horses and stuff like that. So that was a good mix for me. Uh, And I like being out. I I don't love being in front of a computer all day unless I'm like interacting with people. I like the meetings, but I'm not a detail oriented person. So being outside, which this degree allowed me to spend two summers in Wyoming um, and Jackson Hole, because Michigan owns land out there. And one summer in Michigan at their bio station up in Northern Michigan. And so I knew I would have these really fun experiences if I stayed in the the degree and you still had to take all the pre-med classes. So my background was pretty much, I could always transition in the pre-med. I was pretty sure I didn't want to be a doctor, but those pre-med courses were all involved. So I knew that I would have that technical background, which is how I got it to work at Cerner, even though I had the wrong degree. Right. That helped me p- procure that position. So wow, that's cool. So when I went to A uh, and M Corpus Christi, that was my degree as well for the first year. Really? Environmental science, yeah. And then I and switched, then what did you switch to? I switched to history. Well, that's useful too, though. I mean, I think it's useful because no one knows history anymore. In your Absolutely. Life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did you guys ever read Ray Dalio's book, um, Principles? No, I haven't. It's so good. He's like that hedge fund guy that blew everything out of the water and used technology to improve the way that we pick stocks now or whatever. Um, But he says, I mean, he, he's a historian first and then he, he got the algorithms for each historical event into a computer. And then based on that was able to come up with the algorithms for what is going to make him money and not, and very successful at it. But he always says, oh, it's another one of those in the yeah. book. And so you can do that with it. As a history major, you're like, hey, this is not our first rodeo. We've been yeah. here before. Absolutely. Yeah. Very so cool. that's cool. Very yeah. cool. So fast forward to today, working in property management, do you own properties? Yes. We started owning our own properties. Yeah, we did kind of like the rich dad, poor dad thing. Mm-hmm. You like buy one, you pay right. it off, and then you buy the next one, pay it off. So if you don't mind uh, going into some like the details of uh, you know, how many properties uh, you have, and actually, did uh, buying properties come first, or did property management and the business come first? It kind of came, well, my husband owned a few, because when he lived in Mexico, he was making a U.S. salary, but living in Mexico. Right. So he, he was like buying properties back then. And then we bought our, before we even got married, but we bought a 12 unit complex and the house next to it. And we lived in the house right next to the 12 unit complex when we first got married. It's not in like the best part of town. It was like an interesting choice. But so we did all that. We actually sold a lot because the prices went up like a year ago, two years ago, we sold many of our properties um, and have invested some of it in our new businesses. And we're buying a property today. So we're kind of like reorganizing things. No, I recommend to young people, like we, we had more equity in our rental properties than our primary home. So our primary home was not nice at all. Our friends thought we were really poor, but we were just (laughs) buying all these rental properties. Yeah. And, um, and not concerned about our image because we had financial goals that were bigger than showing off 
you know, that we were doing okay. So um, we really have decided, we read this book called Spent uh, Sex Evolution and Consumer Behavior. And it was about how when you try to impress people, you're impressing people that don't actually matter in your life. And so it's a complete waste of time and energy and money. And that kind of gave us the courage to like live very, very humbly, but purchase rental properties. That's awesome. I feel like people nowadays, at least in America, do the exact opposite of that. (laughs) You know, they're, they're all about, you know, the show or impressing uh, Mm -hmm. other people. And then they have no, nothing to their name. They have no, you know, money really. So doing the opposite is really the key. Yeah. It's so key, right? I mean, I I feel like you have to just get over yourself and know that your vision is more important than what people think of you. For sure. And you could do this, but it's so hard to start a company unless you have that mindset. I love this, uh, Gwen, because, you know, I, I feel very similar in a lot of things that you're saying and you seem like you're just a true hardcore entrepreneur. And it's, I'm like, I feel the same way on all of this. And you know, you, for me, I drive a Prius and I was a, I was a commercial real estate broker and I was like showing up to properties and like not wanting people to see my car because I'm like, you know, this, this is like such a small, cheap car, but it was because I'm sacrificing for exactly what you're saying. You know, I have, we've got like eight or nine properties, but I'm driving a Prius, you know, where there's people that have, none and they drive a tesla not that there's something wrong with the car but it's like it's the whole mindset of big picture long term and and that's how you're going to get there exactly well we have these little leasing vehicles i think right now they're chevy spark i think that's what they're called and i remember we we've had these little tiny i mean they're tin can little cars like they're really not fancy but jeremy drove that as his primary vehicle for years, he'd just take that leasing vehicle home and our friends would joke, hey, you need to put ears and a mouse tail on that car. <laughs> he's like, whatever, you know, I mean, we have a leasing vehicle. Yeah, so, I get it all the time. I mean, we got the jokes. We got the jokes, but we didn't care. And the thing is, is that your real friends really don't care, right? Sure. We're always trying to impress people. We're, we're meant to live in like tribes of 250 people. Yeah. And we're always trying to impress these people that mean nothing to our lives uh-huh. and your friends know who you are. So it's just not worth all the effort and, and giving up on your real dreams to impress people that don't matter to you. That's a perfect quote yeah. right there. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. This is just a side note, but I've, I've heard about the, you know, where we were created, you know, to be in tribes of, like you said, I've heard the number, you know, 100, but you know, 250 or whatever it is. And so those smaller tribes, you would be more of an individual and you would be the best at one thing. And mm-hmm. so that has, I've heard that as correlates to the rise of, you know, depression in today's society, because we're on platforms like Facebook and Instagram, where we compare ourselves to millions of people and we're not and their best selves, like right. their best selves, not their real selves. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so it goes against what we, our primal instinct of, you know, being that one person who's best at one thing succeeding at that in this smaller tribe when you're in a bigger pool it's harder to do that absolutely yeah but i wanted to get back to your your rental properties uh, and i kind of want to ask you your your goals with that like what are your goals in real estate um, and then what are your your goals with the business if it's to uh, step back from it one day or if you love love being a part of it Um, so if you want to touch on on those two that'd be great well, I love my property management company with Star Group because I love the relationships we have through it. Um, the two, the partners that we have are like my brothers. I would do anything for them, anything for their families, and they fuel me. I mean, I don't know. We're just good for each other to have in each other's lives. And we've been doing this for a long time, since 2006. So we've been through a lot a lot together. And so I, as long as they want to work with me and I, I want to work with them because it's just great. And we love our, our employees and our clients and everything. But we are broadening because we're in Omaha and we have 1200 units and we had our track, we we do traction um, with, by Gino Wickman. That's how we organize our meetings. So we had our annual meeting and being in Omaha 
there's not a lot of growth we can get in the market share. I mean, we can get more if we do a few more things, but sure. um, we have the best online reviews in our area and we're, we get the calls naturally because we're bigger. And yeah. so we're going to actually start a commercial maintenance company. All right. So, so our big goal for, for 2019 is to, um, to focus on that. We'll still grow the property management. We'll still make our processes better uh-huh. and make sure our team is happy and focus on our core responsibilities. In addition to that, we're going to f- grow this commercial maintenance company. For that company, that's what our goals are. Now, most of my time is allocated towards Aniquim because I'm the president of that company. My husband's the president of Wistar Group, the property management company. Mm -hmm. So our goals for Aniquim are to grow and make our processes even better for the remote assistance. We doubled in size last year. I think we're going to double in size again this coming year. Rent manager call center. I'm hoping, well, we're going to rent manager in Cincinnati next week, and we're going to home in on which products we're going to offer and grow and develop in 2019, Mm -hmm. but we're going to grow that past maintenance into other facets of rent manager clients' needs. Right. So yeah, lots of growth in 2019, but if we didn't do it that way, we'd be bored. And we were having so much fun and we just love what we do. We love the people. Uh, I love watching people that I work with grow. Like that's one of my passions, like giving people more responsibilities, watching them flourish. That brings me great joy. That's awesome. A lot of people who are, you know, in the beginning of their careers see, you know, the end goal of financial freedom, right? To, you know, be able to vacation in Hawaii whenever they want, just sit on the beach drinking daiquiris. Obviously, you know, we see all the success that you've had and well, it seems like you have fallen in love with the process really. That's so true. And that's something that I see across the board with like a lot of successful people in life is that they fall in love with the process and the byproduct of them enjoying what they do comes the success and the financial uh, freedom really. Uh, we had a, a guest on here uh, a few months ago who uh, used the term financial independence as opposed to freedom because he said he didn't want the freedom. He didn't want to sit on a beach and drink daiquiris all day. He loved what he did. And so having the independence to do whatever he wanted to do, which was continue to work in his field, was, was the goal, really. I really want to contribute in my one, you know, my one life here on earth. I want to contribute to life and other people. And I'm motivated by that. So I actually, we actually don't take that many vacations. Most of our vacations are work related. Mm -hmm. My husband and I don't really like being away from our kids. So we're not like trying to go on like some vacation without the kids that much. So we take a two week vacation every year and that's pretty much it. And it's with our kids in, in Michigan where I'm from and on Lake Michigan. Go around in the woods for two weeks. So we're pretty simple, I think, in that aspect. But I just want to contribute in my one life. I want to work on big ideas because, and I want to talk to other people about big ideas. I'm a very big reader. I use Audible and I read whenever I'm in the car, whenever I'm getting ready for the day, whatever I'm cleaning, I'm always listening to Audible and I just want to focus on the big ideas and contributing in this world. And if I can do those two things, then I'm going to be happy with my life. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. On your uh, two-week vacation, are you still working a little bit? Uh, I actually really don't work. Uh, my husband does, but okay. I, I will work. So this last year, I hired a new person uh, June 1st, and my goal with her was to get her so she was fully functional and could handle everything. So that the last two weeks of August, I would literally not work because I do believe that we have to, you have to keep your cup full or you're no good to anyone. And my husband doesn't need full, like a full out, no like vacation where he doesn't talk to anybody, but I do. So, so I, I will work for months to make that happen. And then I really will check out. 
awesome. awesome. That makes it worth it. Yeah. This was amazing. Like, yeah. I, I really liked hearing your story. Uh, it's always cool to hear an entrepreneur. And coming from Detroit, like, you got a <laughs> diverse background and going to Michigan. It's really cool to hear. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much for the opportunity to uh, speak with you guys. And I think what you're doing is awesome. And I, I just can't wait to see what, what else you guys come up with. Thank you so much. Um, I have one more question just in, in closing. If you can give advice to you know, somebody who is uh, a starting entrepreneur or starting in investing in real estate, what one piece of advice would you give? Read, read and read and read more because everything about my philosophy has been built on other way smarter people's ideas and books. And I think being a lifelong learner, make sure that you provide value along the way. I mean, a lot of the story that I told you is like, oh, people weren't using computers, you know? Yeah. I mean, for, it sounds so, so old, but that really wasn't that long ago. It's just things have progressed. So if you don't stay on top of like the newest technology, the newest, the business, the way that we do customer service is so much different now where we talk about empathy than it was in 2005. If you read customer service books from 2005, we would call almost all of it bad advice. Yeah. So uh, everything is evolving and changing. And I would recommend if you're just getting started, invest in the Harvard Business Review and actually read it. Because a lot of our ideas have come from those studies and that, that publication specifically. Wow. Very cool. Very cool. That's amazing. Yeah, great. A lot advice. of good, a lot of good tips, and I've been taking notes. So yeah, there's a lot we can take away from this. Yeah, people want to find out more about you and about your companies. What's the best way to do that? I'm on Facebook as as Gwen uh, uh, W Aspen, and my uh, company website Anaquim, where we source remote assistance for property management companies, and also have rent manager call center, is at Anaquim. Dot net a n e q u i m dot net awesome cool and we'll i'm going to put all of the information in the show notes uh below thank you again so much for being on the podcast we really appreciate thanks it. guys so yeah. much fun thank you yeah. man have a good day you good too closing. yeah we'll see ya bye